Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active licensed and men's package tees. Run into Old Navy Saturday and Sunday for 50% off all Old Navy active styles for adults and kids. They're all 50% off. But hurry, it's Saturday and Sunday only at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 215 to 216 excludes in-store clearance and baby. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. When I had come down this hill, I had seen this creature cross the road. It would have ripped my locked door from my truck, extracted me from my vehicle, and there wouldn't have been a damn thing I could have done about it. This thing, I got to notice in its eyes. Its eyes was real, real evil, real sinister looking. Look, it was given. What were you reporting? Jesus Christ, you bet. Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. Sasquatch Chronicles, a place where people share their encounters. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you this evening. Got two guests coming up. Uh, The first guest is an ATV writer and came across to Sasquatch on a trail. Uh, The other guest, uh, Eric, he's going to be sharing some encounters he's had uh, throughout the years, and they were pretty fascinating encounters, some of the best ones I think I've heard. But first up, I want to welcome Mo to the show. Mo, thanks for coming on. I I really do appreciate you being on tonight. Hey, thanks, Wes. I appreciate it too, man. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, man. And I wanted to bring you on. I, I know you guys are starting to do expeditions out there uh, in the big thicket. And do you want to tell the audience a little bit about that, how they can contact you? Sure, sure. Um, what we're doing is uh, starting expeditions. And the first one we're going to be starting is going to be in February, the first weekend in February, which is the 5th, 6th, and 7th. And the expeditions will go for three days. Um, there will be a base camp. And from the base camp, we'll take people out into uh, uh, really good hot spots uh, to get vocals, um, you know, possible sightings and, and interactions. Um, 
Now, with that said, it's uh, it's five hundred dollars for three days, and you do uh, you do get fed each day. Um, there is a base camp that is tarped off. Uh, there will be protection. There will be people there, um, you know, basically who have experience and some people who don't have experience. And the best way to get in touch right now at, at this juncture would be to uh, call me at four four three seven nine four seven six nine eight again four four three seven nine four seven six nine eight um we uh, we're really excited about this uh wes our our mission uh statement if you will is um and it was cool because uh you know we got together the other night and we basically wanted to get a mission statement going and we want people to come here's our statement we want people to come and experience what we've already experienced and with that said you'll get to meet bob garrett uh the rest of the guys and you have expert uh field guides uh taking you out and uh i you know i can't guarantee that you're gonna have a sighting or anything but um it, it's gonna be like Wes, you came out with us and you know yeah so with that said i mean to, to just you know get in touch with me and then later on uh, we'll probably do something in March, probably two expeditions in March, uh, depending on how it goes. You know, it was really cool going out with you, Bob, Tim, all you guys. I learned a lot from each and one of you guys, you know, tracking. I mean, I've been tracking animals, hunting my whole life, and I walked away learning a lot about tra- how to track, uh, especially these things. And, you know, the time that we were out there, there was a ton of vocals going on. I mean, it was when I say like Jurassic Park, it really was like Jurassic Park. Almost every one of us had some sort of something happen. If you don't see it, you definitely hear it, or you'll have something thrown at you. Or uh, I was amazed when I was out there how much activity was going on. And I know Mo, you're you're a uh, <laughs> I know you're not a professional chef, but you might as well be because when I was out there with you, I I ate uh, <laughs> I ate great when I was out there. You know, steak and you know I don't know what you're feeding people, but I know if you're cooking, it's going to be good. So. I hope people sign up for it. I hope they go out with you guys. I walked away. I learned a lot. Uh, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah, um, and, and again, we want people to walk away experiencing what we've experienced. That that is that is our goal. And, and to uh, even people who are who are on the fence or non-believers, we we we, we invite those people to come on out and uh, and see what it's like out there, Wes. Um, and I want to thank you for your time. I appreciate it very much. And, um, you know, again, if, if people can't get in touch with me, if they can either, you know, go on uh, on Sasquatch Chronicles, do a posting there, I'll, I'll go through the postings and look at people. And if they want to leave their email address, we can contact them by email. Sounds good. And for the listeners out there, it's up on the website. If you go to SasquatchChronicles.com, I just posted it to the blog today. If you miss a number of the numbers up there, the way to reach Mo, uh, give it a chance. Give him a call and uh, head out with these guys. Definitely. You'll definitely experience something. I mean, I hate saying that, and I know you'll never say that, Mo, but um, I'm pretty confident if people go out with you, something will happen. So thank you for coming on the show, Mo. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, and and I just want to say thank you to all your listeners too, Wes. And that's Mo, everyone. And again, I posted that to the blog, so if you get a chance, check it out. If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. And it's an interesting night. You know, the both encounters are very fascinating that I'll be bringing on. Uh, and I want to jump right into it because of uh, time limitations tonight. 
So let's get right into it. Uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hey, Wes. How's it going? Now, I know your encounter happened about 10 years ago when you were out uh, riding your ATVs. Uh, but if you would, for the audience, just kind of start from the beginning. Tell us what you were out doing. Tell us what you experienced, what you saw. Walk us right into it. Okay, okay, sure. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, for, first off, um, it was me, uh, my sister, uh, my yo- younger brother, and my and my dad. And we, we, we used to live in Davie, which is kind of like a redneck, you know, country-type area. So we're used to riding, you know, ATVs and stuff like that, you know, going muddy and all that. But anyways, um, we would go up every year to the lake house in Lake Placid. Um, that's in, you know, kind of near uh, central Florida. Uh, you know, my dad, while we were up there at the lake house, he took us, I don't know, I would say maybe like 20, 30 minutes north to uh, some trails that he knew of, some sand trails. You know, we uh, we unloaded the ATVs. Uh, my dad and my sister went on the big one. Then me and my younger brother went on the smaller one. And basically, we just went through, uh, you know, we were riding, you know, going around these little curves and stuff. And when, when we say my, uh, my younger brother was actually uh, uh, ahead of me at the time, and we had just made this turn. He made a right turn. Now it's about, say, you know, like 10 seconds behind him. Right after, right after you make that turn, it, 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 uh, the whole sand track area, it opens up into a wider, you know, long stretch. Then it goes back into the little curvy, you know, sand tracks. So anyways, he, he had stopped and I was wondering why he had stopped. The ATV, and he, you know, he had shut it off. As soon as I was pulling up, he, he started pointing. I shut it off, shut, shut off my ATV. Then he, you know, pointed, and you know, he asked, you know, hey, you know, hey, well, you know, what is that? And it was over. You know, it was like a big. I don't know how to explain it. It was like a big black mass, pretty much. Way, way I, I don't. I'm not good at judging distance, but pretty. It was it was a little ways down, and we at first thought maybe it was you know some you know big person that you know was just you know broke down ATV or something like that. But anyways, it, it looked like it was I don't know. It looked like it was looking for something. I would say it wasn't looking in our direction yet. It was just kind of I don't know, just standing there and just kind of. Moving, it was moving, it was moving just a little bit. Then, pretty much, I'd say like five seconds after that, you know, when me and my brother were talking, the figure kind of like turned over and looked over and towards our direction. It didn't look directly at us, but it pretty much, you know, looks over in a general area. And shortly after that, we saw. Whatever whatever this thing was, I'd say it was probably about you know seven and a half foot tall, maybe eight foot tall max. And whatever it was, it just shot across from you know from left to right. And you know, mind you, there's uh there's bushes you know and, and woods on both sides. So he was coming from the left, and 
I don't know what scooped him or whatever he was doing, but he just ran across the other side and went into the other side of the bushes. And me and my brothers kind of, you know, kind of started freaking out. We didn't really know, you know, what was going on. And me and my younger brother had knew of, you know, Bigfoot before. We had, we had bought an, uh, an old copy of uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, a DVD, you know, years and years ago. So when we were younger, we were kind of, uh, you know, into the subject. So we were, we were saying, that, you know, that, we're, that was a Bigfoot. That had to have been a Bigfoot. Let me ask you, Josh, when you first saw this thing, was it on two legs or four legs? Uh, it was on two legs, but the way it was running was he it was kind of it was kind of slouched over, kind of like almost like a humpback, but you know it didn't have, obviously it didn't have a hump coming out of its back, but it was slouched over and it had very long arms that didn't look proportionate to you know a human's arms. Um, and the legs were kind of short. I wouldn't say you know, short, but you know, they weren't long legs at all. And the, the, I don't know, the thing was, was covered in, I don't know, maybe like four to five inches of, you know, hair, uh, you know, dark brown, maybe blackish, that color. Were you able to get any details by looking at the creature? Um, yeah, like I said, the only details I saw, I mean, the face I could tell when he when he glanced over in our general direction, it was definitely a like a I wanna say a black face, but a dark face, maybe like a dark gray, blackish. It looks kind of you know, it, it exactly reminded me of a of a chimp's face. You know, a chimp's face, like that similar to that color. And I couldn't really see any any of the ears, the ears I didn't really see. And when I was running across, I didn't see any nose. You know, how a human's nose, you know, sticks forward. This thing had, you know, a pretty much flattened nose. Um, and since it was pretty far away, I couldn't get really good details of the face. Um, and the head wasn't conical. It had, it was, it was slight, very, very slightly conical, but it was mostly just a round head. You know, very wide. You know, it was a big head overall, and you know, obviously, that's when we knew it definitely wasn't wasn't human. What was going through your mind when you saw this thing? Were you thinking bear? Were you thinking what was? I mean, what was going through your mind? Obviously, it never dropped all fours. I've read your encounter several times, and it seems like it was on two feet the whole time. Right, right. Um, I mean, what was going through my mind originally was like right when I pulled up to my brother. I saw that he had he had the weirdest look on his face, and that was before I had I had seen the the figure. Then when I looked at his face, uh, that's when you know he, he started to point, and you know when he pointed over there, I saw what he was looking at, and then basically what what was going through my mind, I was like, okay, you know, my brother doesn't normally you know put that face on. He had kind of like a puzzled, kind of feared. Kind of, I don't know how to explain his facial expressions, but he, uh, uh, I don't know. But anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking. I was thinking pretty much that maybe it could have been, you know, another, you know, rider that, you know, got 
got lost or something. I was looking for help or that broke down, but I thought it was kind of weird because he was right next to the bushes unless he, you know, broke down in the bushes, which doesn't, you know, really make sense. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what was uh, going through my mind at that time. I thought it was, thought it was a, a Bigfoot, to be honest, from, you know, right, right when I saw it, you know, right when it turned, right when it looked over in our direction, I knew that it, it wasn't, it wasn't human. What did you guys do next after this? Um, right after we saw it run across uh, the pathway there, uh, sand, um, we talked about it for maybe like 20 seconds. Um, you know, we were kind of freaking out, you know, kind of saying, you know, are you sure of this? Are you sure of that? You know, was it this? Was it that? You know, we're asking questions about it. You know, did you see this? Did you see that? Pretty much right after that, you know, we, you know, turned our ATVs back on, drove, you know, up, you know, uh, I don't know, it only took us, you know, like maybe, you know, 20 seconds to drive up to the location where I was at. And, you know, we, we, you know, we were going slow. We left the ATVs on just in case it was still around so we could, you know, shoot off. You know, we looked to the left, you know, we looked to the right, you know, we didn't see anything. But we did see uh, these foot impressions in the sand, although they're kind of they're they're kind of scuffed. I don't know how to explain it. They they weren't very detailed. Like if I if I would have tried to cast them, they they probably wouldn't have came out well. And these footprints were, you know, give or take, you know, a rule and a half. So uh, you know, maybe like seventeen inches, maybe like. You know, somewhere around, you know, 17 inches, you know, 20 inches max. So they're pretty big feet, you know, pretty big footprint. And I get to see on one of the footprints that there were, you know, five, you know, five toes. It, it, it looked like a human's foot pretty much, except it had, I don't know, really all, all I was able to see was the, the toe imprints. Then a little bit of the back, like the back heel. And the back heel, you know, a human's footprint has that kind of curve, like when you're going from the uh, the toes towards the towards the heel, how it has kind of that curve. This was more just like a flat, you know, all right. It didn't have the curves, you know, on the sides. If you get what I'm saying. Yeah, it was more of a was it more of a square? Would you describe it as more boxy? Yes. Well, kind of like a square, but more with, you know, rounded edges. You know, to be honest with you, I'm always amazed by encounters like this. You know it heard you coming. It had to have heard you coming. But it's not the first... Right, right. ATVs are loud, so, you know, yeah, it definitely had to hear us coming, which which is what I was wondering is why would it still be standing there, although it looked like it was doing something when we pulled up. I mean, it it didn't see us coming from a distance since we had just made the turn. So maybe it just heard the sound in the distance and knew, you know, there was some kind of sound in the distance. But, you know, we made that right turn and, you know, it was, you know, right down there. So I don't know. And uh, what what were you going to say? You were going to continue talking? That's not the first time I've heard something like that, you know, from ATV riders where they 
turn a corner or they're coming up and they run across these things. And when they run across these things, um, every encounter I've heard almost on an ATV, you know, these creatures had to have heard them coming, uh, but they choose not to leave. And I think maybe because there was two of you decided to run off, might have been a different story if it was just yourself, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Or my younger brother, which was much smaller than me at the time. I had already hit, you know, puberty, so I was, I was already growing. You know, he is much smaller. He still had the, you know, the, you know, the, uh, the voice that was, uh, you know, sounded like a little kid voice still. So if it was just him, then I, I don't know what would have happened. To be honest, if he had shut off his ATV like that. You know, that thing could have just, you know, ran over there and been to him in, you know, 10, 15 seconds with how fast they run. I mean, it, it didn't shoot, it, it didn't run super fast across the pathway. It ran faster than I could run, but just by a little bit. So it didn't, you know, it wasn't like shooting across, but it was it was running pretty quick. Yeah, no, I tend to agree with you. I think that, you know, it was probably more of a curiosity and there was two of you guys, but it's still a very, very fascinating encounter. And, you know, you got to see something most people dream about seeing. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. No, no, no problem. I appreciate you having me on. I, I really do love your show. I mean, uh, I can't wait until Christmas. I'm going to get the membership. Full on membership and you listen to every episode. I'm excited for that. And uh, yeah, uh, I mean, thanks. You know, thanks again for having me on. And you know, happy holidays. And you know, hope you have a good one. Hey, happy holidays to you, and thanks for being on, brother. All right. Thanks, Josh. And again, if you've had any sort of encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. Wes at SasquatchChronicles dot com. Next up on the show is Eric. I want to welcome you to the show, Eric. I appreciate you waiting, and thank you for being here tonight. Hey, no problem, Les. If you would, Eric, you had three encounters, uh, very yes. interesting encounters. Kind of start from the beginning. Tell us about the first one. Tell us what you were out doing. And then just walk the audience right into it. I was fascinated by it. Well, uh, the first encounter uh, was actually a two-part encounter over a two-year period. And basically, it was when I was in high school, my senior year, 1993, 94, and uh, a friend of mine had found a uh, property here in Indiana that was privately owned called Cave River Valley. I'd never heard of it. sounded interesting, so we booked uh, three nights there, um, paid for our night, got our key to the Iron Ranger that uh, guards the property, and went on in. Beautiful property, pristine. Um, you know, you drive in, and there's obviously there's the upper section, and then the lower section, which is the Cave River Valley. And the upper section is just simply just woods with a couple of spots cleared out for camping. And then there's a switchback road down into the valley. So we walked down that. There were eight of us there, and we all walked down. There was a log cabin, old old log cabin, in disrepair. Then uh, River Cave was right in front of us. Further down, we followed the creek that runs through the valley, and uh, it was just grass and dirt, very hard packed, and then trails leading off into the forest to the left, which should have been the west. 
and one took you to Endless Cave, which was literally a long cave that ended up under a cow pasture in the, under the neighbor's property, and then Dorsey Cave. And then one we never knew the name of that you had to crawl in and it had a stovepipe in it. So we never went too far into that one. After we explored all those all day long, we were beat. <laughs> Climbed the switch back out and started making uh, dinner. And as teenagers are wont to do, we had beer with us, but we were not by any means intoxicated when this occurred. We cooked dinner. Had a couple drinks, we were sitting around talking, had a big campfire going. And then to the east was a, a long, a very wide farmer's field. It was all soybean. To get to it was a very steep hill. I mean, down at the bottom, we later saw it's probably 30 degrees incline, but up at the top, it had a, a solid 50 degree incline part that was very hard to climb. Well, after nightfall, we started to hear footsteps coming up this incline. And of course we all wheeled around immediately like, you know, who is this? Um, and waited to see who came up the hill. And the footsteps were very consistent, just step, 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 all the way up until I got to the to the crest of the hill and I stopped. And we all looked at each other like, you know, who is this? And for about five to ten seconds, we waited, and one of the guys called out, you know, hello. And we all would take turns for about ten or fifteen seconds calling out, you know, hello, who's there? And no response at all. And so we really started getting nervous uh, because we were thinking maybe it was a hermit or something living out in these woods we didn't know about who really didn't want us there. And if that was the case, we had no weapons uh, other than a couple of us are pretty big guys, but no hope against a shotgun or something. And and so we uh, proceeded to begin to stand up, thinking something was about to happen. And we heard whoever or whatever this was take off to the to the north through the dense forest. I mean, just an all-out sprint. And, I mean, it wasn't like Jurassic Park, you know, where the, the ground shook or anything like that, anything like that. But it was a hard, fast sprint into the night. And it, and it went about 500 feet into the forest, and then we could hear it audibly stop. At that point, we had no idea what it was. Now, as a quick backstory, very short, I was aware of Bigfoot. I read about it when I was a kid, knew about Momo, uh, I knew about the Patterson-Gimlin film, I knew about the skunk ape in Florida because we had spent many years vacationing in Florida and we heard about it, but no one had ever said anything about it in Indiana, so that was never my assumption. I thought it was a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's and that's what you and, would assume hearing all that. You'd think it was some crazy guy out there running around. Absolutely. So what happens next? So then my friend, who is six foot, 300 pounds, and ended up playing college football on the offensive line, and me, I'm 5'9", 300, we got brave <laughs> and decided to go out and try and see who it was. So my friend went over to the dirt road that kind of curled up into the forest, and I went straight forward toward the sound, where I last thought I heard it. And we went probably 30 or 40 feet to the edge of the firelight, 
And my friend went a little further ahead, so he's flanking the sound, and I'm going right at it. And I might have taken one or two steps past the firelight at most, and this unbelievably loud shriek came out of the night. I'm very familiar with the sounds of the night. And again, a quick backstory. My father was a policeman and was in the Army. So he did a lot of night operations and forest operations. So he had taught me as a kid how to listen in the night, how to be still, how to wait. Don't chase, don't make noise, don't yell. Wait. So I had been waiting. And I had heard nothing. And also as part of what he did, he would go out there and intentionally make noise and scare things up so I could hear it. So the sound of a deer running, the sound of a man running, fox, rabbit, owl, not, not unfamiliar. This was none of those. It was so loud I could feel it in my body. And it was directed at me. You could tell from the power of the sound it was coming to me. And uh, I would attempt to make the sound, but it, it's so high-pitched that I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, just like a real high-pitched scream. <laughs> because it started very guttural uh, and quickly ascended pitch, almost like a... Uh, but much louder and much higher pitch. And it went about five seconds. And that was all I needed to give up at that point. I No, I'm not going out there. I looked to my left, and my friends are running like hell to get back to the camp. So I squatted down, because I figured I was still in the firelight. I was probably all right, even if it was a crazy man. And I was dead to rights anyways. And I just waited. And in about one or two minutes, I could hear whatever this was again, take off on a run up this slight incline into the forest, and I could hear it running and running and running until I could hear it no more. No idea how far it went, but a considerable distance. Came back to the camp, and all the guys were like, hey, what was that? What was that? I played it off. You know, eh, probably bobcat or an owl screeching. And I didn't want to be that guy. And, uh, so we proceeded to go ahead and have our party for the night. We were all, we weren't wasted and everybody got drunk. Half sobered up, decided to go to bed. And the funny part was at that point, we had brought tents. Absolutely no one stayed in the tents. They all piled into the van. <laughs> no one, no one wanted to be out there. I don't blame you guys. See, you know? uh, it was, it was terrifying. And uh, of course, again, being teenage boys, Nobody wanted to be the weak one or say anything. It was just kind of grumble, grumble. Yeah, I'm going to be in the van. <laughs> and we get in the van. So we rolled the windows down. Yeah, you know, eight guys in the van. It's hot. It's stinky. And so we we left the windows down. And about 3 or 4 a.m., one of the guys just, ah! And he hit me and woke me up. I'm like, what? He goes, there was a hairy arm reaching in the window. And I said, What? Are you, you're crazy. You know, that's not it. He said, it reached in and it picked up all of our leftover food and took it. Oh, boy. Nah, you're seeing things. You're seeing things. So I crawled up to the front of the van and it was gone. I said, man, it, it was probably a raccoon or something that you saw. 
Now, the stack of food was pretty big. I mean, bigger than a raccoon could carry at once. I don't know why I pulled a raccoon out as my example, but anyhow, woke everyone up. We all piled out of the van, and the paper plates that everything was on and the cellophane it was in, the food, you know, it was hot dogs, macaroni and cheese, steaks, things like that. The cellophane and the plates were strewn all over the place, heading into the woods. And that was enough for me. I was like, all right, we're done. We're going to go home tomorrow. <laughs> There's no way, because I, I wasn't about to be the guy to get out of the van at the Iron Ranger and fumble to unlock it if something was out here. So I said, you know, close the, close the windows, lock the doors, we'll go in the morning, which we did. And the rest of the night and the day, the next day, was uneventful. The guy that saw the hairy arm come in, was he able to get a look at, yeah. at it at all? He, yes, he gave a very detailed description of it later. Um you know, kind of in private. And uh, he said that it was coming in. So, you know, this is just a standard, like, Econoline van. Nothing uh, out of the ordinary. And the arm was coming down at an angle from the top of the window down into the seat. He didn't see the hand when it came in. He woke up at the sound of it grabbing something, saw the arm. He said the hair on it looked kind of like a, he described it as like a reddish-brown rug. And then he saw the hand when it pulled out, and the hand was black. And now it's nighttime, so hard to tell a lot of colors. But that was his impression. He just saw the hand draw the food back out. He didn't see anything else. And that's the point he screamed. So I was only maybe 10, 15 seconds behind him seeing it and probably two minutes behind it leaving. Cause I, I pretty quickly moved to the front to kind of look around. Um, but there was nothing to be seen, but the place. And the other thing we did do the next day is go down that hill where it walked up. We wanted to see if we could do it. And through the lower section, absolutely. You could just walk up it. But like I said, my friend and I were pretty big guys and pretty athletic guys pretty powerful so and then the other guys were all baseball players and basketball players so everyone was athletic and nobody could walk right up the hill everyone had to start grabbing for handholds or would stumble and slip um you know we were grabbing saplings to you know kind of work our way up that last pitch whatever came up didn't stumble didn't stutter no problems we didn't know anything about Bigfoot, quote-unquote, at the time, other than it existed out in the West and in Florida. So we didn't look for sign. We didn't look for footprints. We didn't really go that route until later and when everybody kind of got together. Went, oh, my. I wonder if that was it. All of this happens. You guys decide to yes. leave. But you returned a year, yes. a year later. Why, why did you return a year later, and what happened? We loved the property, and... Um, we assumed whoever or whatever it was wanted to stay on the top side of the valley. And if we went down into the valley where there had been previous human habitation, we'd be fine. That was our assumption. So we did go back, and this time we booked a seven-day stay, and we were going to actually go actual spelunking. 
take a raft, go into the River Cave, actually go all the way into Endless, crawl all the way into Dorsey, and go look for other caves, do some rock climbing. That was going to take more than a couple days to do it. We were super excited, and the first night, it was just me and one friend, and the second night, a third friend joined us, and we started our little adventure. We explored the log cabin for the first time. We found two bedding areas. Can't tell you what it was from, but it was kind of odd. Heading upstairs, but it looked like nobody had been up there in forever. The property owner actually visited us the second day, and the only reason I mentioned that is that gave me an idea of what it would sound like if someone drove in, uh, and then what it would sound like if they tried to drive down the switchback. And I also got to hear the guy walk up the switchback and kind of what it would sound like. So, you know, that, that was interesting. I'm like, okay, well, now I know what that sounds like. And went on about our day. The third day is when it started to get strange. And we went into the caves, and we came back at the end of the day. It was still daylight. And one of the cars had been physically moved away from the campsite. It had been spun at least three times. Like somebody was shoving on the car at one end. And then they'd go back and shove the other end and shove the front end. There were scuff marks all over the ground around the car, but it, it was, again, it was dirt, hard, hard dirt. So it was just scuffs. And we immediately chalked it up to maybe locals or something, uh, or, you know, a prank. But, you know, Campbellsburg, Indiana is a microscopic dot on the map. It's not like there's an army of teenagers that are going to invade Cave River Valley. <laughs> so... That wasn't most likely it, that we told ourselves that and went about our day. We uh, camped right next to the creek. So, yeah, it was a very peaceful night, and we made our dinners and had a couple beers and were chilling out and eventually got tired around 10 p.m. And so we we had set up a three-person dome tent and took the rain fly off the top. Mm, probably about... 1 or 2 a.m., I didn't have a watch, but I could tell by the darkness it felt about that hour. I heard footsteps up at the top of the ridge. Well, I thought back about when the guy climbed up there. I could hear him about halfway up the switchback, and then the, the sound of the creek blotted out all of his walking sounds after that. So whoever this was up there was making noise, is intentionally making noise, or, as we later thought, was really big. <laughs> and so I heard the sounds, and I and my heart got in my throat like, oh, man, you know, he's back. So I kicked my friend and tried to wake him up, no hope. Kicked the other guy, no hope, he's out. So I'm wide awake in the tent just listening. And I could hear the first sound of someone sliding down the side of the, of the valley wall. And they slid down and waited a solid five minutes, slid again, again, five minutes, and did that two more times, which at that point, it sounded like they got to the bottom of the valley wall. Of course, I thought that was really bizarre because a person would have walked down the switchback. And uh, these valley walls are 60 feet high. So if you caught a root or 
a rock or something gave way, that's a hell of a fall. Yeah, especially in the dark. Yeah. And um, being down in the valley, it was darker because of the tree cover than if you were up top where the tree cover was a little thinner. We had had a campfire, but we'd put it out. We didn't have any lanterns on, so there was nothing I could see, even if I'd gotten up to look. Um, Then I heard two splashes, which were, to me, obviously, somebody walked across the street. And that's when my heart really sunk, because they're in the camp. Oh, boy. You know, we're not hunters. We don't have guns. We were out there for fun. I've got nothing but my fists. And the other two guys with me are really little guys, so other than bait, they weren't going to be any good to me. And, you know, and and I'm actually planning this out in my head. Like, how do I get them out and I take this guy and just, you guys run. So I unzipped my sleeping bag in case I needed to get up, but I did it really, really, really slowly, and I could hear rustling in the campsite. And it's you know we had some trash out there, some you know uh, old uh, like coke cans and stuff, and some beer bottles and some uh, cardboard, and the food was in a cooler, and I could hear whatever this was rustling with that, and it would stop, and then a couple of minutes later you'd hear it rustle again. And that went on for a few minutes, and then I heard the cooler fall over. Oh, boy. You know, (laughs) it's going for the cooler. And and I'm trying to think, you know, in Indiana, we don't really, we don't have bears. We don't have, you know, large population of mountain lions. We don't have large predators. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's a raccoon, possum. Maybe I'm just making way more out of this than I should. And then I heard the footsteps circle around our tent. And they were heavy. Again, not like Jurassic Park shook the ground, but they were prominent in the night. And the footsteps uh, stopped right above my head. And at that point, I, I was just in pure terror. I had my eyes locked shut. I'll clean it up for the public, but I thought, the heck with it. And I just opened my eyes and looked straight up, and there was this very large head leaned over the top of the tent, looking right down at me. Now, I couldn't see any facial features, nothing, just a black head. It reminded me of, like, Brock Lesnar. Just, you could see where he had big trapezius muscles, and and you're right next to the neck. But you couldn't make out any detail. You just knew it was really big. Looking right down, and as soon as I opened my eyes and looked up, the head moved back. I heard nothing for probably 15 minutes. And at this point, I've I've just lost my mind. I'm like, oh, God, you know, there's no hope. We're going to (laughs) die. And I heard two splashes. As it crossed back over the creek, and then I heard it go back up the wall of the valley very slowly, and nothing. I waited about a half an hour to make sure there was nothing else going on, and I kicked my friend as hard as I could and woke him up, told him what had happened, 
And it was my turn to be told, you're crazy. That didn't happen. Go back to sleep. I didn't. I, I prayed for the, day, the daylight. Daylight came. I was the first one out looking around. What I'd heard in the night had actually happened. Everything was kind of stirring about. The cooler was all off the table. Nothing was missing, though. I looked all around. There were no signs. I could see, though, the slide marks down the valley wall. And, it, and whatever had done it had left obvious slide marks because there was, like, you know, tree debris up there. And it was, you know, obvious ruts down to the ground. So I showed my friends, and then that, they were like, whoa, you know, what could that be? And we all talked, and while they were trying to figure it out, I went over to the tent and tried to look down in it. Like I said, I'm five nine, and I could lean on the tent and look down into it. But you would have, I would have seen the whole body laying on the tent, you know, trying to look in. Whoever this was was at least six foot five because they looked straight down. That's pretty terrifying. Did you ever? Did your memory go back to a year earlier? Did all that kind of come flashing back when this was going on or after this happened, when he had time to think? Oh, he came back as soon as I saw the head. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, I know what that is. There's no doubt. I mean, I've been around, for various reasons, extremely large men over my lifetime. You know, even ridiculously large people. And they don't shape like that. This, 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 they don't look like a you know, a head with no neck, even when they crane their neck, I mean, they looked like a person. And this just looked like, almost like the shape, like if you had like a, one of those like anti-radiation suit, a big blocky head type thing, leaning over looking at you. It was just huge. I knew what it was. I remember laying in the bed, in the, the uh, sleeping bag thinking, yeah, those aren't here. <laughs> you know, that that's West. You know, that's South. That's not here. So we cut the trip short. <laughs> I bet. We were out of there. Yeah, we were out of there. We returned the key, and I never went back. Um, it's now a state natural area, so I would guess less going on there now, but it still exists. But, you know, years, years later, once I actually researched this topic, my personal opinion is it was most likely a juvenile male because there was never anything but one. And it wasn't ridiculously huge. It was just big. Six, five ish is totally plausible for a person, but not that big and not doing what this thing was doing. Um, but that was my opinion years later. Yeah, and you might be right. You know, it's definitely, it, it's ballsy. The thing was definitely ballsy coming in the way it did. It sounds like it was probably looking for food like it was the, the last time, you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I it never, it, I mean, obviously it never directly threatened us, and it wanted no part of us. I mean, as soon as it knew we were looking, it got the hell out of there, uh, which I would expect generally from a wild animal. But... It also, if one of us would have gotten up or gotten too close, though, so, <laughs> it could have turned really bad looking back. Yeah. No, I tend to agree with you on that. How many years later did you have the, uh, 
I love the troll looking in the window story. How many years later was that? And can you kind of go into that? That was a solid 15 years later. That one was weird. I always stumble into these things. I I was not out looking for these things any of these times. So I was out on the western edge of uh, Bloomington, Indiana, where it you know it Bloomington's where Indiana University is, and that's you know more the center of the city. The outlying areas are more typical Indiana um, homes, little little uh, additions. Farmer's fields and forest. And this friend of mine, uh, her family lived right up against the soybean field. And I would guess they probably had an acre. I had been to the home once before, wasn't unfamiliar with it, but we went back and it was probably nine at night. And I stepped out of the car and I immediately heard this strange sound in the night. And it sounded like a cow mooing in distress, but there was no no lead in. You know, I, I had heard cows in distress, and then it, it's more of a kind of sound. This was just the loud. <laughs> what is that? You know, I. I have no idea what that is. And she, she said, well, that's the troll. And I said, the troll. I said, you know what a troll is? And I explained to her what a, a, you know, a mythological troll is. And she said, well, it's not that. It, it looks like a hairy guy. And I said, oh, well, I know what that is. <laughs> so I stepped out the back door to listen. The way that the area was set up behind the home was an open field about 200 feet long, right directly behind the house. There were three small hills, a garage, and then a, about at 150 feet, a very large eight-seat, uh, like a table and chairs. And to the right was a stand of trees that was in a triangle shape. It, it followed the back of the homes where their fences ended, and then in a tra- in an angle it went along the uh, soybean field. And in the backyard of all these homes, I could very clearly see they had their porch lights on, and I could see dogs. And I could hear the moaning getting closer, and it was moving along that angle out by the soybean field. I said, uh, so where does this troll live? And she said that it, it had a, it wasn't a hole, but like it had a depression out past the soybean field and into the next forested area that it lived in. And I kicked myself to this day for never having gone back to look, but not my property. And I don't know that that person who owns it would be amenable to me looking for a troll. Um, so I, I never looked, but as it got closer, and we're talking about where it lives, the dogs, house by house, run out to the fence and bark ferociously. And as the moaning moves nearer them, the dog would run back toward the house and cower. And this happened for at least six houses. And I could 
see it with my own eyes. I'm watching this happen. And I'm thinking, that's a predator out there. Dogs aren't going to do that unless there's an alpha predator out there. And I thought, well, is it going to show itself? And it got to the end of the stand of the trees, quit mooing or moaning, and nothing. And at that point, I started getting nervous, like, wondering if it's looking at me. Now, I'm like two steps from the door to the house, so I know I can get inside pretty quick, but still, unnerving. And at right at that moment, I see a gray blur move out from behind a tree, lean down, and run behind the hills. And in between the hills, I could see it move. And its body is nearly parallel to the ground, and its arms are too, and it's pumping like the uh, front wheels on a, a, a train engine just and it moved across I couldn't see its legs and it went behind the third hill at that point I just uh, I checked out I'm like I, that's it nope not doing this I'm going inside <laughs> this this is crazy and uh when you saw it it was on all fours and running no, it was bent over. It, it, you could see its two other, its two arms up by I its gotcha. side, pumping. I gotcha. Um, it wasn't running like inhumanly fast. It was running stealthily, uh, like a special forces kind of run, just real low to the ground. So I go inside and we're talking, and she said, "Well, I said, you know, what does it do now?" And she said, "Sometimes it comes up and looks in the windows." I didn't want to see that. And I totally admit chickening out, looking down. I'm like, the last thing I want to look up and then see that thing looking at me. And so I'm, I looked down, and it was a good 20 minutes, if not longer, that I did not look at the windows. <laughs> like, nope, don't want to see this. And after that time passed, I could hear a commotion out in the back, and it sounded like metal hitting metal. I finally got some guts, went back, looked out the back door, and all of the table and all eight chairs had been completely thrown about. Uh, not Again, not in human distances, but it had been trashed. And her dad reacted, oh, no, not again. And they openly talked about the troll having done this multiple times. And, and he said, why did you have to go out there and make him mad? Well, me, I just stayed out on the porch. They made a few comments about having to clean it up in the morning. They weren't going out there. And uh, she came up and said, I think it's time for you to leave. And I'm like, I'm not going out to the car. <laughs> you know, are you crazy? You know, I don't know what that is. And she's like, no, it's okay. It's gone now. I'm like, how would you know that? And... And, you know, I waited a few more minutes. They turned on all the outside lights. I went to the car and I left. But that one was extremely strange. Yeah, and it's an interesting encounter because, you know, in a lot of these, it doesn't throw me off them calling it a troll at all, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of these people in these remote areas, they will name it something. They'll call it whatever. Mm -hmm. The grass man, the corn man, the chicken man, a troll. Uh, they'll have all their separate names for them. And what's interesting is a lot of these places historically have a lot of sightings. 
The problem is, is if you look up Bigfoot or Sasquatch, you won't find anything on it. Right. The minute you, if you know what the locals call it, then you can start. It goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Did they say any more about? Did they give you any more information on, on this thing? This troll, obviously, wasn't Sasquatch, but yeah, um, I saw her a couple more times after that, and asked her about it, and she gave more detail about where to find its house. You know, basically. And which path to take through the cornfield or the soybean field to get to that general area. And uh, she warned me against going over there. It was private property. And, of course, you know, you don't violate private property. So I never went. The other things that she told me was basically that it would come in and basically have a temper tantrum every once in a while and destroy things. But then would come up and look in their windows, and that she had seen it look in the window, and she said it looked like a troll to her. Um, the other piece, uh, which I did follow up on later in life, uh, was the Morgan Monroe State Forest here in Indiana has a long history of sightings, and that's very close to this home. So I've been in the Morgan Monroe State Forest a few times looking around and kind of, you know, researching any history there. And it, it's, I mean, it's certainly not the Pacific Northwest, but it's it's known to be there. Did she ever describe to you what she saw? Only in the briefest details. Um, she didn't like talking about it. Basically, she described it as looking like a gray-haired, dark-skinned old man with huge eyes and a huge mouth. And what I saw that night looked like the coloration of a silverback gorilla. Again, it's in the, it's in the moonlight and starlight, so colors aren't always accurate, but that's what it looked like to me. So I think we saw the same thing. Yeah, sounds like it. It's very fascinating. That whole encounter is very fascinating. It. Um, how far away from where you had your original encounter to this property other side of the state basically i got you uh, i got you campbell's campbellsburg would be in the southeast corner closer to the ohio river bloomington is more southwest uh so i mean it's a significant distance i got you i thought i would ask i wanted to ask you yet a, a final encounter would you mind yes. wa- walking right into that one absolutely this is the one that actually scared me worse than the the others. Um, How many years later was this? Was this one? It was about a year or two after the one in Bloomington, and um, this one would have been much closer to the Campbellsburg area. Uh, not side by side, but much much closer. It was near Salem, Indiana, and there's a trail there called the Knobstone Trail, and it's used by backpackers and hikers as a training ground for the Appalachian Trail. Uh, so it's it's not like your typical state park trail. There's climbing, there's bouldering, there's you know challenges getting through this area. A coworker of mine had read about it and he wanted to go down there, and I said, "Ah, sure, sounds good." And um, the problem was we couldn't leave work until about 6 p.m. So we, we were going to get down there at dusk, if not nightfall, and it was in the middle of the summer. I think we got there about seven and then we got all our stuff together, talked about where to go and what to do. And 
family started the hike about 8.30. The first step of the hike is about a 75-foot rappel into this valley. And then the trail starts. And so we started off on the trail, went about four miles. Uh, I like to hike without a flashlight on because my eyes adjust to the night better than if I just see what's right in the flashlight beam. It's a personal preference. You know, he, he wanted to use a flashlight, so I just never looked back. And I'm leading, leaving the hike. And at about four miles in, I start hearing the very definite sound of rock hitting rock. Well, how odd. And I've been out in the woods all my life off and on. Never heard this. And, and I'm trying to think, you know, there are some houses up at the top at the entrance to the trail, but there's nothing at this point. We're alone. So it's not like somebody's up there breaking rocks or anything. They were coming in, in groups of four. And just and echoing through the whole valley. And I turned around to my coworker and I said, you know, what's that? And he's like, I don't know. And he just wanted to go on. I said, that's not normal. <laughs> I was like, that makes me nervous. And uh, he said, well, why? And I said, well, who stands out in the night and bangs rocks together? Uh, that's weird. Well, okay, I want to go on. So, all right. So we went about two more miles, and during that process of going those two miles, we eventually put the sound of the four bangs on our east. So we were, you know, right next to it. And I was looking over that way, and there was like a not a waterfall, but like a seepage out of a wall in the forest, and I could see nothing moving, nothing at all. And when I looked. The sound stopped. When I looked away, they'd start. And I did that a couple times. I'm like, oh, great. You know, I had at this point heard about Bigfoot's, you know, hitting a tree with a stick or banging rocks together. Not again. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I have the worst luck. And so we're out in this area where there's no escape. I mean, it's 75-foot walls up to the side, and they're sheer. I can't run six miles full bore anymore. I mean, that that wouldn't work. We're trapped. Then I heard responses to these rock strikes up ahead of me. One, you know, kind of to the southwest and one directly to the south. And they were coming back in combinations of three to eight. There was no rhyme or reason that I could pick up for the number of clacks. They were not nearly as hard as the one to my east. But they were very audible. I, I, in my head, I, either, I, th- I remember thinking, either they're hunting or this is a family. And we just walk right in the middle of it. Oh, God. And so we're supposed to camp out here tonight. This is not going to be a good thing. So we go up on top of this taller hill in the middle of the valley, and my coworker wanted to check the weather, and it turned out there was a line of thunderstorms coming in that had already dropped some tornadoes about 40 miles away. 
Well, we were not equipped to deal with the heavy torrential rain, nor with the gully washers that come afterwards and could, you know, wipe our campsite away, make it a muddy hell out there, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, well, why don't we go back? And he said, okay. <laughs> Thank heavens. I did not want to stay out there that night. Yeah, I don't And, uh, oh, no. And by this point, though, the, the sounds had moved and were closer. He didn't seem to even care about it or think about it. He, he just wanted to hike. And at that point, he turned on his big flashlight, shot it right in my eyes, blinded me. God dang it, dude. And so my vision was impaired off and on for the hike out. So whatever was out there, the two at the back now moved forward, and I could hear them clacking the rocks. And the one to our east paralleled us out to a certain point, and I don't know exactly where, but probably a quarter mile or a half mile before the exit. That whole hike out, I'm just... I was just I'm just sick thinking about something's going to step out from behind a tree. It, it's it's going to happen. My luck has held out for three of these. I don't want any more part of it. <laughs> um, and nothing happened, and we climbed out. We talked about it on the ride home, and, and he, he chalked it up to Rockfall. Yeah, well, no. <laughs> That was not Rockfall. You know, Rockfall is bang, roll, roll, roll. This was bang, 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 bang. Uh, it sounded like a fifty caliber machine gun. It was so loud. It makes you wonder. I, I've always wondered why they do that. I've heard other witnesses talk about that. I've I've never really heard true rock clocking like that, but I've I've talked to a lot of people that have, and they described it the same way. I had a hunter who thought it was gunfire going off. Um, and then he realized yeah. it was rocks. Someone was taking two big rocks and smacking them together. And I think he said, like, in intervals of three or four or two as well. Um, but at first, when he heard it coming huh. into this canyon, he thought it was gunfire. He thought it was off in the distance and it was gunfire. And then he realized, no, it's it's rocks. Yeah, I had the exact same feeling. Initially, I, it was distant enough that I couldn't pick up the initial report. So it sounded like, you know, a gun firing. I don't know what kind, but just a gun firing, which in southern Indiana is nothing nothing strange at all. But for it to go on like that, and then once we got closer, I could hear it was rocks. Oh, man, uh, my heart just sank. Because seeing the other encounters, I could go in a house, or I could have gotten in a car. There was a chance I could have gotten in a car, and we could have tried to get away somehow. There was no escape. We were trapped. You guys you guys were funneled right into an area. Yes, we were. And I knew it was happening. And I, I from again from my dad's training to me, you know, how not to get yourself caught. Well I walked right into it. <laughs> you know, they had me. You know, the only way to get out of course is to leave it. I mean just leave. There is no other option at that point. Uh, standing and fighting was not an option. Just had to leave. And thankfully, uh, he agreed. What's your feeling on this topic today? You've had these three, I would call them major encounters. Yes, they were. Well, actually four. Yeah. Uh, what's your feeling on the whole subject today, and do you ever go out in the woods anymore? Oh, I 
go out in the woods, sure. Um, I'm more careful. I'm out by dusk. My feeling is Indiana is, is kind of a transitory area for them, I feel. It's not to say that there aren't some that find a great place and stay, but I, I, I think it's they, they move through more than they live here. Um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people over the years from policemen to coworkers and friends who have had experiences of different degrees and it only happens in the summer and spring for them. And mine have all been in the summer, uh, except for one. And that would be the troll that was in January. Uh, but it sounded like it had stayed there for a long time, but for the most part, I think they moved through and, uh, of course, no idea where they're going or coming from, but uh, oh, I've definitely been back out in the woods and looked around and tried to see if I saw anything. I really didn't. I don't really know anybody anymore that would want to go out there with me because I'm certainly not going out at night alone, unarmed, ever again. <laughs> um, dodged the bullet three times, four times total now. I don't want any part of that thing. And... Um, I've not experienced extreme aggression. Um, I don't know anyone here that I've personally talked to that has. I've heard a couple of people on your show from Indiana. I know right where they're talking about. Very interesting. Uh, some have been more aggressive than what I've found, but I think we weren't after them, so to speak. We weren't like it, doing things that made them feel like we were following them or trying to see them or trying to get closer. We were just passing through or just happened to be there. So I don't think I ever triggered that part. Honestly, some of your best encounters come from people who really aren't looking for them, more or less just kind of run into them. Uh, people say dumb luck. I don't know that I call it luck, but <laughs> no. uh, just kind of run it, you know, just kind of run into them. And it makes you wonder too, you know, you see some territorial type behavior in the first couple encounters you were talking about being out with your buddies, uh, it might have been more curiosity, more of a good way to steal some food, yeah, uh, easy target target to get what you guys had. And then with the troll incident, to me, I see more territorial type behavior just in the way it acted. Yes, uh, it came up through a tantrum, broke some things. It shocks me that a lot of the local people don't talk publicly about stuff like this. And they don't really have a name for it, so they come up with the name, like the troll or the chicken man. Yes. They just come up with names for it. But in generally speaking, in those types of situations, sometimes you'll have more aggressive-type behavior because it's more of a territorial, this is my spot, this isn't your spot. Yes. And my dad, being, yeah, he's 82, uh, he grew up in southern Indiana, and he can vouch that they won't talk. <laughs> I mean, you know, and having been a former policeman, uh, you know, he's had a few very isolated moments of, you know, encountering the paranormal and people won't talk, not here. Um, now, if you were in Indianapolis, Evansville, Fort Wayne, maybe, but out, out in the smaller towns, no, no chance. You know, they may not make fun of you, but you'll get a weird look and they'll walk away. Um, and I understand that. I mean, 
having grown up here, that's just kind of how it is. And you just don't talk about that. And, uh, having asked many people over the years, you know, and trying to <laughs> find somebody that would share my experience, you know, you do get a lot of weird looks. And then one day you're walking down the hall and they pull you in a room and oh, I saw one, you know, yeah, I've had that too. I've had that from a lot of people, you know, where you're kind of criticized publicly and then privately they'll say, you know what, I, I actually saw one, uh, which kind of amazes me. But I'm really glad that you came forward, Eric, yeah. uh, to talk about the encounter because, you know, a lot, a lot of people, I've had very few from Indiana, and I know stuff goes on in Indiana, but it's kind of like other parts of the country to where it's not really acceptable to talk about these things. Correct. And those are the areas where you find the best encounters. Those yes. are the people you want to talk to, you know. And people don't realize that parts of southern Indiana are not, they're not a rainforest, but it's not that different than where you're at, where it's just thick, thick forest. No one's there. No one's ever there. <laughs> so, yeah, when you go into those areas like we did, you might run into one. No, I tend to agree with you. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Absolutely. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email, wes at sasquatchronicles.com. And if you get a chance, check out sasquatchronicles.com for additional shows throughout the week. Until next time, everyone, have a great night.
Today's sales leaders face a difficult task, selling the right products at the right time through the right channels. A new three-day program from Harvard Business School Executive Education addresses this problem directly. Join us on the Boston campus in August for Managing Sales Teams and Distribution Channels, where you will discover strategies that can lead to the best sales performance. Learn more by clicking the banner or visiting hbs.me sales. That's hbs.me sales.